What is up, guys? Welcome back to the Meeting of Podcast. I am Andres, and this is our top 10 movies of 2020. Finally, I'm here with the crew, RB3 and Sabrina. We are going to count down our top 10 movies of 2020. We're going to go 10 through 9, take a break, and then obviously go to our top 5 of 2020. This has been a weird year in film. It's been a wild year in film, but there has been a lot of good movies, and I'm so excited to hear about it. Uh, Let's start right away with your number 10, Sabrina. Yeah, my number 10 is The Sound of Metal, directed by Darius Martyr. Um, So this film obviously follows Riz Ahmed, and it kind of covers a musician who loses his hearing. So he has to navigate through these different circumstances in life, and it really focuses on opening yourself up to something, even though it may be scary and it may be something new and something you didn't expect to happen in your life. Um, And I just love that the way they show the deaf community in this film and the way they show it seen through the eyes of someone who's brand new to it. um, I just think it handles this type of situation in a very patient way, a very quiet way. Um, And I just think overall the sound design is superb. The performances Um, we have like so many, we have Paul Racy, Olivia Cook, Riz Ahmed. All three of those are such incredible displays of you know their their ability to shine in a film that might not be the most extravagant display of like acting ability um but because it is so patient um they do a really beautiful job in that so sound of metal my number 10. I haven't gotten a chance to see The Sound of Metal. That's another one that's been on my list for quite a minute. Obviously, this is going to be the case for a few movies that I haven't seen simply because of circumstance or maybe because of release date. Uh, But Sound of Metal is definitely one that I'm curious about. Any thoughts on Sound of Metal, RB3? Um, I have not had the opportunity to see this one either, but I've heard a lot of great things about it, yeah. Uh, You're number nine, RB3. Well, be my number 10. Um, Number 10. Yeah, my number my, my number 10 of 2020 uh, is actually something I talked about last week in our top five directors, and that is uh, Andrew Patterson's The Vast of Night. Wow. Um, that's something on Amazon Prime uh, original, and it, um, to me, is just the perfect display of creativity and direction when it comes to um, having a minimalist budget and still making, like, a grand feeling, like, sci-fi film that's still like a a loving homage like the 1950s actually set in 1950s itself it follows um a switchboard operator um and a d and a radio dj as they try to like uncover the sounds that are coming through the frequencies and they just got so creative with the use of sound the use of technology the use of cam work to like build the suspense and build this mystery while at the same time like adding like a new breath and life to like the 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 sci-fi genre like as well so it, it was just really really dope I, I really really appreciate it the vast tonight and I'm I I, I, I know it's probably going to be on your list undress um so uh, I'm probably going to save more conversation about it for later but I really dug it that's exactly my thought too man I'm obviously going to talk about it a little bit later on uh my number 10 is a movie that we talked about early on in 2020 and I wanted to make sure to give it a shout out because I really did enjoy it quite a bit and it's different than any other of my films on my list because it isn't a super dramatic uh type of film and that is the half of it uh the half of it is on my number 10 at number 10 i really really enjoyed this film uh it is directed by alex wu um really a remarkable story a love story a love triangle kind of story but it really is so well done and so unique and interesting Uh, between these two girls who are falling in love and they don't even know that they're falling in love and the quirky, awkward, 
overly smart high school girl uh, in this film that is falling in love with the uh, immigrant kind of out of place uh, Christian girl who is in the town. I, I really enjoyed the story. I think it's super relevant. I think it's so different and unique uh, and really, really well written. Uh, I just enjoyed this film and I think it's time to give a shot to these type of Netflix films that are a little bit lovey-dovey, but so, so well done. Not like the other Netflix films that are a little bit too over the top. This not one's to like grounded all enough. the boys, not to all the boys. Yeah, I didn't want to name any RB3, but sure. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But yes, not not at the same level as like a super over the top kind of teenage romance film, but a little bit more grounded teenage romance film with uh, plenty of comedy as well. Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's a lot to offer in that film, and I think it does stand out, and it's so unique and special because it's not something that we typically see. We don't typically see that average teenage, like, romance type of uh, coming-of-age movie centered around uh, burgeoning sexuality and a girl coming into her own sexuality and understanding all of that. So that's a really special one. Yeah, I also really like the connection between both of them being... Um, immigrants and being people who are from different cultures and different backgrounds in an all-white community. I thought that was really unique too and something that was kind of dabbled, like touched upon and not necessarily focused on, but it still was there and it felt very clear and resonant. So I really enjoyed that as well. Uh, it jumps to our number, uh, your number nine, Sabrina. Yeah, my number nine is Lee Wan L's The Invisible Man. Uh, probably a surprise to no one. I definitely covered this earlier on within the year, but I think Lee Wan L masterfully crafts a film that shows the horrors of life mixed in with this supernatural or science element. Um, I think he takes this this story that we've already seen a hundred times before, and he really does make it his own by changing the perspective uh, into Elizabeth Moss's character. And he grounds this story through the use of this like real world trauma, and he shows this man that's haunting her. Um, obviously, she suffers from abuse within this story. And so not only does the story show itself in the way of like the invisible man, but it's also kind of that metaphor for trauma and the, through like the abuse that she endured. And so he's everywhere, nowhere, all at once. Um, it's just kind of one of those things, even when she's in the shower, he's, he's watching her and she feels that presence. And the way that was shown on screen, I just think is so chilling. I remember I came out of that screening and there was like a, one girl who's just shaking. It's, it's one of those things that I love the fact, I think this is the only one on my entire list that I experienced in a theater. Um, and I'm so happy that I was able to see this one in a theater because it's very, very special. From the performance from Elizabeth Moss, from Aldous Hodge, um, everybody involved with this film, this was just a home run for me. Yeah, I really I really dug this movie too. I, this was a late catch for me. Like I, I missed it in theaters. I actually didn't see it until like the very end of the year. And wow, what a, what a, what a grand-speaking movie. It's actually on my honorable mentions list. Um, but that movie is so great because it's like a great balance of like suspense and like action, but also just like pure like emotion too. Like and you could just read it and feel it all over Elizabeth Moss's performance and like just through her facial expressions and just do like that looming fear and just do that like crazy camera work sometimes. Like sometimes the camera will just do like a random circle around like the roof of the uh, house. And I'm just like, oh, what is that about? Like is is he is that the perspective of the the dude inside of the invisible man like who is he who is this even you know like and just so many um so many cool interesting angles that this movie takes i'm just really really a big fan of it 
I think that's my favorite part too, is the camera work and the way that Lee Whannell directs. And he's just so energetic with the camera. I think that's the word to use. And he just loves moving it around. If you've seen Upgrade, that's another one where he really emphasizes the camera and the direction of a movie, even though it's a small budget movie. I think both those movies are under 10 mil. Uh, so it goes to show you his uh, p prowess in directing. It's really cool. Uh, RB3, you're number nine. Uh, yeah, my number nine is actually something that um, was, I was a little bit lukewarm on when I saw it initially, um, but we actually, upon further reflection, and even after we did our review for it, I'm actually came to enjoy it more. And that's uh, actually David, fin David Fincher's Mank. Um, I actually, uh, yeah, this is my number nine film because, you know, initially like going into, I guess my expectations was a bit different than I, you know, what the actual product ended up being. I guess I expected something a little more suspenseful or maybe something a little more, I don't know, like dramatically like enticing or something like that. You know, I'm not saying that Mank wasn't, but it was just different than what I expected. I didn't know what it was going to be about. Like, I didn't know it was going to be about like the struggle for like writing the movie with also like this backdrop of like the socialist, like versus, you know, um, Republican politics of, 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 of the 1930s. I didn't know that was going to be a backdrop of it. So it was just different, but I ended up after, we saw it at the drive-in. The drive-in also didn't make it the best experience for me either because I felt like, you know, like when you're just, you know, it's hard to just lock in at the drive-in, especially when it's a movie that is in black and white. It's already kind of dark. Um, and, you know, the sound is already kind of distorted. And then on top of the car distortion, is like you're just kind of tuning out. Yeah. But, you know, that's the benefit of it being on Netflix. I get to rewatch it scene by scene, like take my time with it and actually break down a lot of parts that end up liking about it. And I like the real life political allegory that I was going for with like the 2020 like kind of parallel that I was going for a little bit. I also like the also like it's rep is rep representation of Hollywood and how it uh, kind of unearths like a lot of the the underlying beliefs of like a lot of these studios and stuff like that. So there's a lot of really, really good stuff. And I also just really enjoy um, Fincher's like direction, even as even in subtle times, like even in. There's times where, uh, like, there's a blackout, like a fade to black, but you can actually notice that the, all the lights in the scene are fading out, like, individually. So it's not even, like, the, a, a transition. It's actually lighting is fading out. So those little David Fincher touches that you could tell from here, places to place. In fact, that was filmed in black and white, too. I don't know. There's a lot of good technical stuff I could get behind it with. So I really enjoy uh, Mink. Yeah, I, to me, that one still is definitely like lukewarm. I still think it's interesting. Um, I'm still fascinated by it, but I, I feel like it falls in the lower tier of Fincher, which is why it's not something that I've like revisited since the drive-in and then one more rewatch at home. Um, but that's definitely somewhere like in the honorable mentions. It is still a standout of this year. Uh, it's definitely in my honorable mentions as well. Unfortunately, not on my list. Mank says so much, man. It talks about kind of the facade of Hollywood and where it started. I love that because obviously of what Hollywood is now or what the perception of Hollywood is now. I'll never forget that interview with John Boyega that came out a couple months ago where he said, I don't know why everyone keeps saying the left Hollywood. Like top executive Hollywood is all right wingers and like all super right and like super not against not for anything that anyone is fighting for. Um, 
But I love that he said that because that's true. And that's kind of where Hollywood started from. And you see that in this film when it talks about like, no, Hollywood was all about like the Republican Party and all that stuff. So I don't necessarily see where people see that anymore and they're trying to cover it up. And it also talks about the Hollywood system that is rooted in greed and rooted in uh, power, repeating power and giving more power to powerful people. And it's just an endless cycle of that. I really enjoyed that. And I love, 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 love that it was made by Netflix, which is like the Hollywood killer <laughs> right now, uh, literally making their own studio and making their own films in different locations and going away from the Hollywood tradition of releasing it in theaters. Uh, it's perfect. It really is a perfect, um, encapsulation of what film was to what film is now so love it man uh my number nine is the assistant uh it's a small independent film uh, directed by kitty green is her name uh and she directed this film starring julia gardner uh it is about an assistant to uh an executive in a production company funny enough um, and I can't lie, part of this movie is a little bit towards my interest and my bias just because I did work for a production company uh, for quite a few years. So I did know these typical female assistants who were working for top executives and also in a production company making films and movies uh, that are supposed to represent, you know, women of all backgrounds and you know power to women and feminists and all this jazz where the top dog the executive is the most sexist misogynistic piece of crap there is and that was so true and it was true in my production company and it's true in this film and it's true in a lot of production companies where you see the power dynamic that is abused inside the hollywood system inside the movie production system where uh powerful people basically uh, choose who they want to cast if you suck up to them or if you even worse just you know um, sleep with them or go to bed with them or, or do favors for them and it's, it gets darker and darker but that really is the case in a lot of the history of Hollywood and obviously we get into the Weinstein thing where that's kind of the Weinstein way of what it was in the past and now us trying to get away from that now and the assistant kind of shows a, a a spotlight to that in a very quiet subtle kind of far back kind of way it's not necessarily in your face and tossing it in your face it's much more quiet and subtle in the way that julia garner discovers like the person she's working for in this company she's working for is actually pretty vile and pretty dark even though she really wants to be a director and a producer in, in a film industry so i i think it's a very important film and i, and I really enjoyed what it represented so yeah i think the standout of that is for sure julia garner's performance i thought she was absolutely incredible i thought the film was definitely super important and this is a story that's really impactful and it shows it in a subtle way uh which keeps it something interesting and also just keeps it so realistic because we're following her as she's talking about like yeah i worked so hard to get this type of job i'm trying to work forward in this career and she's kind of seeing like this is how the industry is and this is what you're going forward and she's one of those people that's trying to do something even with her small position that she has to change that to actually discuss it and talk about it and is quickly shut down um so yeah it's definitely a very very slow and quiet film but overall the message that it has is something that's super important 
Yeah, I haven't seen this one personally, but yeah, yeah I just like how both of you know me and your undresses uh, number nines are both about like Hollywood, you know, uh, yep. uh, what lies underneath, you know, and that's yeah. a real theme that we've seen in twenty twenty. And I like that it's being discussed for sure. Uh, Sabrina, you're number eight. Yeah, my number eight is Promising Young Woman, directed by Emerald Fennell. Um, so for Promising Young Woman, I guys, this list, I really genuinely thought this would be higher. Um, but regardless, um, I'm super confident with the rest of the films that I do have, and there were so many that I loved. But this film, I still highly recommend it. Um, it's so much more than what we think it is. Even by the trailer, it looks like something super, like this revenge flick. It's so glossy, and it is. It is glossy, and it is candy-coated, um, but it's not like your average revenge flick. Um, I think in moments, it's super tough to watch, but overall, it tells the story in a very realistic way, and it kind of comments on you know internalized misogyny we cover not just oh men are bad we see it with women as well it covers all the different bases of what we experience in our society and one more thing that i love about this film that i didn't even realize on a first watch but i feel like with a lot of its casting it's very very purposeful we have people like Bo Burnham. We have Christopher Mintz-Plasse. These are all people that we just see in films typically as like the good guy, like the chill, nerdy, sweet, good guy. And it kind of shows all the different facets of every single person. And even if somebody has their life together, they can still have biases in different ways. And then when it affects their life, that's when they kind of change their minds and switch up on it. And it, and it does really display that in something that's a really interesting way like I said, definitely really hard to watch, um, goes in different directions that I didn't think it was going to go into. And so overall, I can understand people coming out of this film and having a kind of mixed reaction. But I think everything that happens is very purposeful and it is very realistic. Um, and so even if I don't 100% enjoy every single aspect of it, I do feel like there's so much to touch upon and there's a conversation that we can have surrounding this film about people standing up for what they believe in, people sacrificing a lot of their own life for what they believe in to make a specific change, even if it's just so small and it's their town or it's something else. Um, I just feel like there's a lot to explore with Promising Young Woman. And again, Carrie Mulligan's performance, I, I definitely think this is one of the best films I've ever seen her in. Um, obviously, we have other stuff like Wildlife. Um, those are just kind of the ones that stand out to me. But this one is something so different because she has to play a different type of character uh, the way we see her. She's playing a specific type of woman at clubs. She's When she's herself, she's hurt and she's distraught. And it's just, it's. I think it's really emotional to see how something has overtaken her own life and has even affected like her family and things like that. Um, I just think overall, this really was an incredible, unique film. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, um, yeah, I was very, um, I had a very, you know, it's a, it's a tough movie to, you know, have a, have a, have a reaction to. Um, but, you know, the one thing that is, uh, you know, because it's just hard subject matter, you know, hard, hard subject yeah. material, because it's something that affects a lot of women on a very regular basis. But one thing you can't deny about Promising Young Woman is, you know, it's brave, it's bold, it takes risk in a lot of places that I think a lot of movies would be really, really scared to take a lot of risk on. And I think it's, uh, it's I think it's, you know, I, I really do admire um, how ambitious it is, how thought out it is, how meticulous it is. Um, and like you said, the performance by Carrie Mulligan um, is absolutely like, it's electric, but also like, 
heartbreaking and tragic too, to some extent as well. So it's like, you know, especially when um, it gets into the backstory and her motivation as to why she is doing um, a lot of these things to begin with. So yeah, I overall, I, I really, really enjoy this film. This is on my, this is another one of my honorable mentions um, too, but I can, um, yeah, I, I totally think this should be up there and is worthy of the recognition. Sure. Yeah, obviously Promising Young Woman is one of the best f films of the year for sure. It's definitely in my honorable mentions. It's so interesting how this film talks about generational change. I believe mm -hmm. all the characters are around my age, like 30-ish. Mm -hmm. uh, and it talks about like, well, that was a different time. It was a different time. Like if you take a shot every time they say different time, you'll be drunk. But it really is one of those things where it shows you like, damn, so much can change in five, six years. Um where people did some things in the past and you start to think about it and you're like, man, that was evil. That was vile. Uh, and you didn't even consider it back then. But now you really start to think about it and you start to say, wait a minute, this was not okay. And it never was okay. Even though it was a different time, it, shouldn't be, it, sh it still should not be okay. Um, so I really love how that's touched upon throughout the whole film as well. Um, RB3, your number eight. Um, yes, my number eight is actually... Um, you know, this is going to be my second black to black and white movie, um, back to back. Um, but actually want to shout out, uh, a really, um, interesting documentary that I think is, is absolutely worth checking out is from, um, director Jared, I'm sorry, Garrett, uh, Bradley, and it's called time. And what this uh, documentary is, is essentially it follows, um, uh, Fox rich and she is fighting, uh, She's she's an advocate to get her. She's advocating to get her husband, um, whose name is Rob, you know, uh, uh, coincidentally, uh, coincidentally, um, who's serving a 60 year uh, pr uh, prison sentence. Uh, so, like, by the time we actually meet her, by the time we actually meet uh, uh, Fox uh, Rich, um, she's been um, she's been fighting this fight for like 20 plus years. And like all of, you know, she had two kids with her husband and now they're like fully grown adults. And like really never even had any like interaction with their father. And it's a really like powerful documentary. It's uh co-produced by the New York Times. And um it's just it's just heartbreaking because this is a, something that affects a lot of families like all across the all across the United States. Um and it's just it's 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 sad because it's like, you know, and even you know, she admits to it, like this was a mistake that her and her husband had made twenty plus years ago, but now they're still facing the consequences of it even though like well, there's so many other like issues going on across the country. And then the, the most, and it's really also heartbreaking too, when you actually like watch this documentary and you follow this woman and she's like the sweetest woman in the entire world. Like she's talking to all the core people, super nice. Like, Hey, when is the appeal coming? Hey, when's the appeal coming? And then like at the end, like, and she's doing all this nice stuff and they're still like dragging her along. They're still like saying, Oh, one more day, another day, another day. And like, at the end, it's like, she just kind of gets frustrated and you're just like, oh, I feel you. Like you just feel it. And, I don't know it's so personal and it's so and it's so deep and I I really I, I implore people to check it out. It's on Amazon Prime right now if you haven't if you haven't watched it, um, and I, I'd really highly recommend it. Uh, it's, it's definitely one of my my favorites of the year for sure. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet, but I'm I'm definitely I haven't honestly full disclosure haven't checked out a lot of documentaries throughout this time. I feel like there's so many films that flew under the radar, um, so I'm gonna have to put that on the list to watch. Yeah, I, I try to watch as many as I could, and there's a lot of documentaries you guys are going to see in my honorable mentions. But uh, yeah, I'll check that one out as well. That sounds really interesting, RB3. 
Um, I'll move to my number eight. Uh, my number eight is an animated movie, uh, and it had to be in here, guys. I had to do it. It's Soul. Uh, Soul is my number eight. I love this movie. I think the score is absolutely incredible. It's uh, a Golden Globe nominated score now. It'll probably be Oscar nominated. Um, really, um, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross are truly one of the best composers right now, and I think they should get the kind of love that they're currently getting. Uh, and Soul's just a really well done Pixar film, a classic, you know, personal story. Uh, about this guy who's trying to figure out what his life is and what he needs to do. And it's this midlife crisis that he's dealing with as he is literally uh, in the other side by dying or by almost dying and meeting someone whose consciousness hasn't entered their body yet uh, and trying to decide whether they want to be born or not be born and what that decision is. Uh, really interesting film, really well done, really emotional film. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So it's my number eight. Yeah. Well, I'll be talking about it much later. Oh, okay. Uh, later oh, okay. On in my list, but that's actually I'm I'm super upset. Uh, that's one of the ones that didn't make my list, but it is all the way up there, number one in my honorable mentions. Oh my gosh, uh, just everything about this. I I felt so much. I felt so inspired and uplifted after this, and I do love the way they portray everything, the way they portray this other like realm. I, I truly do feel like this was one of the standout films of the year and it definitely deserves all the accolades that it will 100% be for sure getting this award season. Uh, yeah. You're number seven, Sabrina. Oh, my number seven is Possessor, directed by Brandon Cronenberg, David Cronenberg's son. Uh, nepotism made points with this one, okay? So <laughs> basically, this film is super interesting. Um, I had no idea what to expect going into it. I just saw the poster, and I was like, all right, cool, I'm in. Um, but basically, it is a body swap assassination horror film. Uh, a corporate assassin takes control of other people's bodies using this like brain implant type of uh, technology and they execute high profile targets. So they swap into other people's bodies, complete randoms. Uh, they ensure that they die at the end. So then they get transported back into their own body. It's just absolutely wild. Number one, I will say truly, this is one of the goriest films that I've seen in a very, very long time. Honestly, to be expected, but there were a few moments. I'm pretty, usually I'm not sensitive to that kind of stuff, but there was moments where I had to get up out of my couch for a little bit. Um, I would have loved to see this in a theater. I love the way Brandon Cronenberg directed this like body switch. When that swap is happening, I just feel like it's one of the most interesting things. And also this is like, super dystopian um but i do feel like it kind of talks about the world that we live in and directions that we might be going in our reality uh, it feels super super fresh even though we've seen assassin films before of course with this whole body swapping idea and it kind of deals with like psyche cyber surveillance also just like family and relationships which i think is something really interesting and uh we have christopher abbott and this is the second film i've seen him in this year and I wasn't too familiar with him before. And the other film was Black Bear. And that's another one on my honorable mentions that I loved him in. Uh, but he did such a great job. And Andrea, Andrea Riseborough, the way we are introduced to her in the beginning of the film and the way we end with her at the end, it was just, I was haunted. Um, so I highly recommend to check this out if you guys haven't already. Yeah, I'll definitely add it to my list. It sounds yeah. interesting. I haven't I haven't checked this. I've, actually, I really haven't even heard of this movie, Sabrina. You put me on the sound. I have. I, I remember we talked about it briefly. Someone mentioned it in the chat for one of our videos. I forget which one. I, 
I think it dropped on Hulu actually. It so uh, yeah. I think it did like yesterday or the day before. I w- that's I saw it and I was like, I'm gonna watch this and I didn't get a chance to. So now I will. I'm excited. I really need to hear your guys' thoughts. Yeah, I like that guy. That uh, that one guy who looks like John Snow, Abbott. Uh, Chris Abbott. Yeah. Uh, RB three, you number seven. Yeah, my number seven is uh, something that is, I believe, getting a, a, lo- a good amount of recognition, but I think is getting recognition in the wrong places, most notably from um, the Golden Globes being nominated and or getting consideration in the uh, best foreign language category, and that's Minari. Um, to me, this is uh, absolutely, for one, it's 100% uh, an American film. It's all about the American experience of uh, becoming, of living in, in this country. Like, that's kind of the ideals that America was built on. Like, somebody, you know, f- cannot be from here, can be from, like, Ireland or, you know, um, Mexico or, in this case, um, Korea, and build build their life here in America um, and, build, and build an establishment here, like, and a family here and a legacy here. And that's something I really, I really dig. Like, I think it's... You know, uh, this is from director um, Lee Isaac Chung, and it's telling like the very personal story of him and his family's like movement to Arkansas and, you know, living, going from living in a tiny house, like barely getting by to having this big sprouting land, but still trying to figure out what to do with all of that and still trying to adapt to this experience. And it stars uh, Stephen Young um, as uh, the father, Jacob, and and, um, the young kid who plays um, David is uh, Alan S. Kim. And he is such a sweetheart. Like he is a sweetheart throughout this entire movie. Um, it's just it's just an overall feel good film. I feel like this is like the perfect movie to watch with like family uh, with, you know, especially if you have a family who's like struggled when, when y'all were younger and y'all managed to overcome the adversity and still are staying together and still being wholesome with each other. Like this is something that I feel like it touch a lot of people. I think this is absolutely one of the most, um, I think just one of the most uh, emotional and personal films uh, I've seen this year. So, It's it's definitely going to be on my list higher. I will much be talking higher. about it soon. Yes. Uh, I'll move on to my number seven real quick. Uh, I believe we're on number seven. Yes, my number seven. My number seven is a movie that I loved the first half of the year and it honestly was in my top five in the first half of the year. Uh, I think we did a half of the year movie list and this was on there and it is bad education on hbo uh this is a movie starring hugh jackman uh it is so freaking wild this movie is one of the most like twisty turny movie i've seen in a minute like you don't necessarily know who the protagonist is or if the protagonist is supposed to be a a redemption story or like a negative story or who you're rooting for half the time and and you start to realize like this lead character this character that hugh jackman is playing uh no matter how good his intentions may be just the greed that starts to eat away at him so much that he thinks he's doing the right thing when he clearly isn't and the student who he inspired to defy him just goes in and defies him and he's like wait a minute you can't do that and she's like you told me i could uh it's so cool it's such an interesting story it's so intense and interesting uh again the turns that this movie takes is wild i highly recommend it It, it's so weird to see a movie that's a purely streaming film before the streaming films kind of took over on warner brothers and hbo right it's like a pure it didn't come to theaters it was only on streaming um and yet now it's getting some love now because of 
all these movies that are now coming up on streaming. But yeah, Bad Education is my number seven. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I really. No, you got you guessed me. <laughs> I really enjoyed it uh, when we checked it out. It's actually one of the ones that I've. It was so early on in this year or last year that I feel like it was just one of those that kind of fell off. But yeah, I really enjoyed that one. So I love that it's on your list. Yeah, that's definitely one. I I literally is 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 one of those ones that. I always forget about, but then whenever I see somebody mention it, I'm like, oh yeah, I did really like that one. Yeah. Like, um, and I've been seeing that a lot. I've been seeing a lot of like film Twitter and film Instagram, uh, giving this some shout outs. And, uh, and I really dig that. It's, it's, it's an honorable mention for me too. Though, so, uh, Sabrina, you're number six. My number six. Whew. I'm cheating here. Uh, I'm going to cheat. I know. Uh, I'm going to put the entire small acts series. I hate to do it. I'm so sorry. If I had to, if I had to separate these, it would just be like two, three, four, but like, you know what I mean? Uh, it's really, really tough. So I'm just going to put it all into one. Uh, I guess I'll give a special shout out to like mangrove and lovers rock, of course. So I'm going to have all of those kind of in this one. And we've talked about it a ton, but again, I do think these are some of the most moving, touching, profound, like empowering pieces of work that we've seen all throughout the past year, no matter what. Uh, these are some of the most important stories. It reflects our society now. It reflects the society in the UK right now. And it just shows us like, even as much time like passes, it, stuff doesn't change. Like we need to continue on and work harder to make sure that this, this changes. Like, because when we talk about, we're talking about 60s and 70s, it feels like forever ago, and it was. And so it's really, really tough to see those situations on screen and know that we still get a lot of that reflected in our daily lives. So small acts, entirely underrated. Um, obviously, we had an old, a whole episode about it. We all did reviews. Um, guys, make sure you check that out and check out these films. I know I'm lumping five films into my number six. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I think we're going to talk about it a little later, RB3. Is that correct or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. Uh, well, I mean, this will probably be a good time for me to, like, shout out, like, some of them. Well, yeah, we'll probably shout them out later. But, yeah, I, I did have I have one of the small axes uh, on, on on the list. Uh, me too. Yeah, I, uh, I probably, I guess that, you know, I guess that probably is going to represent the whole series as well. Because, yeah. yeah, it just, it all feels like one thing anyway. So, you know. Uh, you're number six, RB3. My number six is actually staying on the wave of Amazon Prime, and that is One Night in Miami. Um, One Night in Miami is the new uh, film directed by Regina King um, and, you know, starring, uh, well, featuring a lot of all-time, you know, great people, like, um, or fictionalized versions of all-time great people like Malcolm X, uh, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke. And, yeah, this was a uh, one. I just feel like the performances all around. It was just like a performance piece you know that was just like wall to wall great acting um the the dude who played malcolm x um kingsley ben Benadier, um was absolutely electric um aldis hodge is was great too and leslie odom jr sam cook was uh was was breathtaking as well and yeah just all around it was a really fun movie i felt like you know like i said in the review it was really well paced like it i never felt boring like once during the entire thing um, it felt like, you know, even though it was based on a play, it could, it never felt like too stagnant. Like it felt like it was still moving. There's still like a dynamic going on. There's still a rhythm. And I just think it just is dope seeing Regina King, you know, after being so many, having so many great years of being as an actress, her being able to channel her talents on camera and be able to take that behind the camera. And she's been able to do it on TV, but now in the feature film debut, she, she really killed it. So. 
It's crazy to think how incredible she was in Watchmen, right, man? Like, God, she killed it in Watchmen in yeah. front of the camera and now in behind the camera. I'll talk about One Night Miami uh, much higher on my list later on. Yeah, this one's on my honorable mentions. Um, mm. I really, really enjoyed this one. Like I said, guys, I started out with a list of about 40 films that I genuinely really, really enjoyed. Um, so this one's high up there for everything that RB3 just said. Uh all right, so it's my number six. And then after this, guys, we're going to go to break. My number six is a fun one because I don't think you guys have checked this out because I don't think anyone has checked this out. I got to see this movie with a screener because it's a movie that I actually reviewed for Geeks of Color. Uh, so if you guys want to check out my review, it's up there. So I saw it a couple weeks early. It's called Synchronic. Um, it's by a director called Justin Benson starring Anthony Mackie uh, and Jamie Dornan. Dornan? Dornan? Dornan. Um, it's so interesting, weird, super low budget sci-fi film that I was not on board with the first half of the film. I was like, what is this film? Um, it doesn't make any sense. And it's kind of slow. And then it starts to pick up once they deliver a twist in the middle of the film around Anthony Mackie's character. And we start to discover this new sci-fi angle to it that he discovers along with his character. Um, and the way he uses his new sci-fi power is really uh, refreshing, unique, cool, heartwarming. It, it, it's a very heartwarming film where you start to learn. It's it's like Soul, where you start to learn like the meaning of life and what life means and what's the purpose of like beginning and end and all this huge that really get jumped in here. Uh, and it's so well done. I really enjoyed this movie, and it's definitely in my top ten of the year, in my top six of the year. So it's incredible. Wow. I, I highly recommend it. Wow, I am. I saw it on Twitter. I've seen a few people kind of talking about it. Yeah. I am so surprised to hear it this high up. I'm definitely gonna have to check it out. It's great. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't heard of this. I haven't heard of this at all. So I yeah. really, geeksofcolor.com. <laughs> nice. And my review is up there. That. Making the description. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I really loved it, and it, I really think it's one of those movies that by the third act, you start to be like, damn, this is deep, uh, and this is really like heartwarming. It makes you feel like, man, humanity, we can do it, maybe. Uh, it's that kind of movie, and I really have to give a lot of credit to Johnson, uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who directed the film as well. Uh, so yeah, that's my number six. Either way, guys, we're going to go to break right now. When we come back from the break, we're going to get to our top five films of 2020. This ain't funny, so don't you dare laugh. With the four fifth divide you in half, you getting at me equals a bloodbath. You do the math, take you out the equation. This ain't funny, so don't you dare laugh. Be sure to check out this week's First Cut Live, where Paulo Yama joins us to recap all the great movies he saw at Sundance. Check out this short clip of him giving his most anticipated movies going into the festival. Enjoy. What's going on, First Cut fam? Paulo Yama here. I'll essentially be operating as First Cut's. Uh, Sundance correspondent this year just wanted to give you a little heads up on some films to keep on your radar as the weekend goes on uh, one is prisoners of the Ghostland. this is a post-apocalyptic genre movie from beloved Japanese auteur Sion Sono uh, Nicolas Cage stars in this it might not be a similar movie but it kind of gives me the same energy as Mandy from a couple years ago um, next one is passing this is uh, Rebecca Hall's directorial debut. It's an adaptation of Nella Larson's novel, and it explores things like gender, sexuality, and class in the 1920s. 
stars Tessa Thompson and Ruth Nega. Sounds really interesting to me. Um, Summer of Soul, or the, When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. This is legendary musician Questlove's directorial debut about the Harlem Cultural Festival, which took place concurrent with Woodstock in summer of 69. Uh, a lot of this is new footage. People like Stevie Wonder, Herbie Mann. Um, on the Count of Three, this is Gerard Carmichael's directorial debut, um, starring him and Christopher Abbott about two friends who make a pact to end their lives at the end of their day. Um, Early Buzz has this compared to something like the Safdie Brothers, so that sounds fascinating. I think keep an eye out for that one. And then Cusp, which is this documentary about three teenage girls in Texas. Um, a lot of Early Buzz has this kind of compared to Mining the Gap. It seems like it's you know this big linchpin year in their lives. So I think all of those are really ones to keep keep an eye on as the as Sundance goes on this year. And uh, yeah, if you want to keep track of everything that's coming out, um, you know, just look up my name on Letterbox. I'll be logging all the stuff that I watch. Check out our new website on geeksofcolor.co slash first dash cut to check out our reviews, our videos, and articles that pertain to everything First Cut related. Check it out. Come along, children. Now we're going to have a little music. What's up, guys? We're back talking about our top 10 films of 2020. Now we're at a top five, starting with Sabrina and your number five. Yeah, my number five, uh, Malcolm and Marie, directed by Sam Levinson. Uh, I feel like this is the quarantine movie. Um, I feel like this is a product of everything that happened in 2020. This would not exist if, you know, we didn't have everything that happened. So it's a direct reflection. Um, I just think it's really interesting. And obviously it follows this like toxic relationship through the story um, between John David Washington and Zendaya. And by the time this is up, uh, it's basically going to be hitting Netflix. So I'd highly recommend checking it out. Uh, it's not the easiest watch for sure. And it's not the most fun watch. It touches on a lot of really dark things, like honestly, really real things. It, it touches on drug abuse. It touches on addiction. It touches on all these different things um but but most importantly that something that we see through john david washington and zendaya is just like the intricacies of a relationship and kind of a degradation of a relationship most of the time we see them they're not happy they're not happy basically at all throughout this entire film um and it's just really interesting to see how people who are in relationships for like a long period of time the way that they kind of interact honestly um and it's super, it's super sad to see, but um, I was just kind of shocked. And one of the reasons why it is so high on my list and the reason why I really enjoyed it was because it was also really funny. There was a lot of really funny moments where we were laughing at the characters. We were laughing at their behavior, mostly John David Washington. Um, and that's something that just kind of stood out to me. And I do think there's a lot of really interesting, although self-indulgent commentary on just like art art criticism, everything that like we kind of talk about, the industry, uh, just uh, just all of these different things, uh, just kind of like elitism in the industry, all, all these different ideas that I think are handled in a very funny way, uh, a very interesting way and engaging way to kind of look at it. As somebody who doesn't understand uh, the film industry or for somebody who doesn't understand the film industry or like film criticism and, you know, kind of all those press runs when you interview actors and you talk to directors and things like that. It's just really funny to get the other side of it uh, <laughs> through like a director's perspective. So I, I just think Malcolm and Marie, those performances from John David Washington and Zendaya, I think they were two of my favorites of the entire year. I, I think Zendaya deserves at least an Oscar nom for this one. Wow. 
Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I I definitely agree. You know, uh, the acting for both of between both of the performers was, was just um, on point. And yeah, I mean, it, it is it is a tough movie to watch. It definitely for me, I you know, I I personally have some 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 qualms with it. But you know, that being said, though, it is it's definitely no like you said, it's definitely no denying like the style and the and the and the and the craftsmanship of it is definitely there. Um, you know, like I said in the review, I really loved the storytelling of it. I just didn't love like the story necessarily. Um, but you know, it was really there. Uh, I do gotta say though, Sabrina, you know, the, the nepotism on your list is a little strong, uh, between Brandon Cronenberg, uh Brandon uh Co- uh, 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 uh and um and, uh, John and uh, Sam Livingston. Yeah. Well Sam Livingston too is uh the son of director Barry Livingston. Yeah. Uh, wow. And John David Washington. Ooh, yeah, nepotism yeah. got me this 2020 that. without even realizing it's it. Hollywood royalty. Damn. Nepotism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Uh, RB3, you're number five. Uh, my number five. Well, you know, um, I what since we're on the John David Washington train, um, mm. you know, we talked about mm. a lot of, uh, I've talked about a lot of black cinema so far on my list. Uh, you know, I talked about time, talked about one night in Miami. Uh, you know, we're definitely going to talk about soul and more small acts later, but I can't deny the pinnacle of black cinema in 2020. And that is from director Christopher Nolan. And that yeah, is Tenet. the blackest uh, director in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New Spike Lee, as I call him, uh, Christopher Nolan. <laughs> uh, yeah. With Robert Pattinson, the, the yeah. best sidekick black character in all of Hollywood. Oh, uh, yeah. He's like the Martin Lawrence to uh, John <laughs> Will Smith. That's what yeah, that's exactly it, yeah, dude. That's yeah. spot on. Nah, I love it. Uh, nah, uh, shout out to Tenet, though. I really... I really, I really enjoyed this movie. Again, this was another one, just like Mank, I was really mixed on um, when coming out of it. Like, I enjoyed the spectacle of it, but I didn't really know what was going on. Like, I was a little lost in the sauce. But, you know, when I, when, mm. before we did our episode on the meaning of Tenet, uh, I, I did get a chance to rent it, and I rewatched it a bunch. Um, and, yeah, there's just, there's a lot that I could just really, really, I really, really love about it. Like, I do, I love movies that make me think, and I love movies that make me really try and, dive in and really try and figure out something that like I can explain or figure out on my own. So I really dig that. I also really, um, and I, you know, I also, you know, I, I do think, I didn't think it had a lot of character, or a lot of personality, like when I first watched it, but I think after just watching it more, I kind of like found a little, some nuggets and pockets of, of, of creativity, uh, in there throughout. And, and one moment that I forgot to mention during our, our podcast, um, that I thought was really, really good that, uh, I, I had noted, but I didn't say was there's a, a moment in there where John David Washington and, and Robert Pattinson are trying to break out of the airport terminal because like the 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 gas is coming out, like the, the the gas to suffocate them is coming out, and then um, John David Washington is trying to pick the lock to break in, and that's actually and he as he's picking the lock he breaks the lock, and that's the exact same like you know a, a robber trying to get out of a spot and breaking the lock like as he's trying to pick the lock is exactly what happened. And Christopher Nolan's first film, The Following. Um, and that's exactly what happened to that character. So it was a nice little, like, full, yeah. like, you know, loop around. I don't know. I just find that really appealing. And there's just a little nuggets and pieces as, like, a, a film nerd and as a Nolan nerd that I could just really get behind and, and tenant. So, yeah, I really, really dig it. And I know a lot of people don't like it. And I can see, I could totally, I'm, those criticisms are more than valid. Um, but I really, really enjoy tenant myself personally. I love how you said lost in the sauce. It's because it's all sauce, bro. It's so saucy, man. Yeah. Uh, where's the chip at, bro? <laughs> you got I mean, sometimes, 
I mean, sometimes if the sauce is good, if That's the sauce true. is adequate, just I'm like okay dump with it on it. there, bro. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty okay with yeah. it. And that's kind of that's kind of my thoughts about Tenet. Uh, it was really fun to see this big spectacle film, even though I did watch it at home. It was nice. It felt refreshing. It felt like I was back in the cinema a little bit for a second. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun with it, like I mentioned before. So I like I like that you gave the shout out to little independent filmmaker Christopher Nolan yeah. on your list. Black filmmaker legend Christopher <laughs> Nolan. Yeah, yeah. Little tiny indie movie uh, tenant here that, we're, that his shout, <laughs> shout out here highlighting. Uh, my number five, guys, is a movie that you guys have mentioned before, and I'm sure RB3 might mention it a little bit later on. I'll quickly touch on by touch on why I loved Mangrove uh, the most out of the Small Axe series. It definitely is the most feature film. It's the longest one in the entire series, I believe. Um, feature film length uh, with about a buck 45, I think, is how long the movie runs, or about two hours, I think, is how long the movie runs. Uh, really well-directed, really well-paced, a lot of story in there, a lot of character, incredible performances, a lot of nuance. Uh, a beautifully well-told story that Steve McQueen just nails absolutely down. Um, really one of my favorite films of the year, and it was so refreshing to see the culture that uh, um, the characters bring to the UK and how they take that with them and how they're opening up these restaurants and these places and these sections in the community that speak to them, and yet how how they face off against these racist cops is uh heartbreaking but at the same time uplifting by the end when they're uh you know staring them straight in the eye at the core and and just outsmarting them completely it really is really cool to see so mangrove is my number five yeah mangrove is absolutely stellar um probably if i had to pick my favorite one out of all of those it would be that one um yeah. i just think like from all the performances steve mcqueen absolutely nails it from the cinematography and the direction he just has a grasp on this film for a courtroom like drama type of film uh it's just far far superior than what i've seen a lot just over the past few years this is something that needs to be on everybody's radar uh sabrina you're number four my number four is nomadland directed by chloe Zhao, somebody we shouted out last week on best directors so Nomadland, um, it's really interesting because I know it is like based off of a book and something that I kind of mentioned last week and something that we've seen from a few directors like the Safdie brothers, it's another thing that we talked about last year, is mixing in real life people in with these characters. Uh, and it almost gives it, it gives a film like Nomadland this like documentary-like approach where it feels so authentic. It feels like you're genuinely looking into this. If we had a no-name actress rather than Frances McDormand, I might genuinely believe that we're watching somebody's real life story play out it's just so intimate and it's that intimate candid display of like people who are connected to the earth and obviously this happens after like the great recession and there's just so much loss not even just financially um in a lot of these people's lives there's different loss um health wise or like relationship wise um in their family and these people are like downtrodden and there's so many other hardships that they kind of focus on within this film and they're so freed it's like they're they're on their own other way they're connected to the earth they're free and they have this wonderful wonderful worldview and wonderful community that they're opened up to um i just think like chloe Zhao is a powerhouse of a director and a storyteller some of the monologues that we get within this film from these actors or from these real life people 
are so incredible and it just hangs on to their faces for far too long and it feels so invasive and intrusive um and it's just absolutely beautiful i mentioned it last week like i was getting terrence malick like vibes but just in a completely different way in something where i don't want to compare this to another filmmaker it it is rightfully like her own um and from francis mcdormand's performance to everything else this is such such a standout and chloe zhao deserves best director and francis mcdormand who always always doing an incredible job definitely want to check it out rb3 any thoughts um, yeah, I mean, I definitely have some thoughts. This will probably, I'll probably save more thoughts yeah. for later on yeah. in, the, uh, in the show. Let's go sure. to your number uh, four, right? Uh, yeah, my number four uh, is something that I again shouted out last week, and I'm super grateful that um, I, I got to check this out before I checked out this list. This is another documentary um, that I wanted to include, and that's Boy State. Um, and Boy State is something that, for one, Again, I had no idea of of what this whole thing was. I didn't know any. I, I have any idea of what what this was going to be about. Like it was just it, it it just seemed like a really weird thing. Um, but then we actually watched the documentary about it. And you actually know what's behind it. You're just like, oh, this is actually kind of weirder than I thought. But at the same time, it's like infinitely fascinating. You could kind of see like how you know real politicians could end up spawning from something like this um, because it, it it is so much like about like you know the like inspiring people to like you even even at the age of like 17 and it's it's so and again i really really want to check out girl state and, and salute to uh actually meg who's a, who's a great supporter of a first cut she actually uh wrote in a, a, a lengthy message uh on twitter um to me after she watched our top five directors of 2020 and uh she was telling me about how um she there's actually a boy she actually knew a lot of people from her high school that was in like the boy state and girl state like kind of thing like okay. you know um she kind of said like you know she like she said a lot of boys and girls it was a big part of like her high school experience no and that in tennessee almost every one of her friend group every single person in her friend group either went to like boy state or girl state but didn't really talk about it and you know they said it was like some sort of secret but like, you know, obviously that secret kind of got like unearthed in this documentary too. So I don't know, it's just really, really cool. It's dope. It's just a really, really uh, super, super amazing uh, concept. And I really look forward to seeing some of these young leaders at some point down the line. Like I'm, I'm rooting for Steven. I'm rooting for, um, who was the other kid? Uh, uh, the black kid, I forget his name. Now the black kid in there who was really, really amazing. And apparently also another commenter alerted us. We're talking about Eddie, like the far right guy who, was running on the other side of this, you know, quote, election in the boy state. Apparently, he actually came out as bisexual and is a leftist. So good for good for Eddie, too. Good for Eddie, too. Wasn't so. Eddie the guy who won the governor? Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Eddie was the guy Him? who won the governor. Yeah, apparently, he's a bisexual lefty now. And it's the problem with kids, man. The problem is, I, I mean, obviously, there's the documentary <laughs> spells it out. It really does. It shows you, like, they keep the tradition of, like, whatever your parents say, that's what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's what the documentary shows. Great documentary for sure. Um, I'll jump to my number four. Uh, my number four is on my list. I'm looking at my list. Okay, cool. This is how I did it because my my top five can basically be jumbled up. It could be my number one or my number two, but I decided to put probably the most personal one in my number four spot, which is Minari. 
Uh, you already brought it up, RB3, but Minari obviously is a very beautiful film. But it's a very, 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 very personal film to me because it's it's so similar to the way I was raised. Like, so similar. Uh, the way that my dad came into this country and worked his way up and worked his way in a community uh, where there was a lot of uh, Latino people working in the same community, like there is a lot of Korean people in this film. Uh, and there is a lot of white people in that community, too. And it's this kind of dynamic of like what it is to be an American, how to speak American, all this kind of stuff that I learned as a kid. And I felt like that little kid in that film, that eight year old kid when I was eight years old. Um, living in this community where my my mom was very much like uh, raising me the the traditional Colombian way uh, and and keeping the tradition of Spanish only and all this kind of stuff kind of like the Korean grandmother so I felt very uh, spoken to in this film and it's a very personal film very well done very well directed uh, and it shows you kind of what immigration is and I feel like a lot of people need to see that nowadays even if it's Korean immigration, Middle Eastern, Mexican, whatever it is, it really shows you 90% of the stories are like this and not like anything else you hear. So really love Minari for sure. Is it your number three, Sabrina? Are, are we ready for my number three? Let's do it. All right. Well, let's go straight to the same film. Minari right. is my number three of the year. Um, yeah. Minari just touched me in a completely different sense because um obviously a similar sense as you as well, but like, I, I am a first generation American, but my family, um, my dad came from Mexico when he was about six years old. My mom came when she was nine. They kind of had the opposite experience where they really like they, we had some of the cultures and the traditions and things like that, but they really embraced American culture so quickly on the South side of Chicago. So seeing a situation like this and hearing stories from my grandma, both, both of my grandparents on either side, um, I just, it, this film just hit me so, so deeply. It was so impactful for all the things that you guys said before, but like focusing on these immigrants coming into a place that like we know the reality we don't get to see any of these these negative things but like in the 80s like during this time immigrants still to this day are looked at in such a negative way and it, this just shows how hard working somebody has to like do to sacrifice so much and build something from the bottom up you are coming here with no foundation nothing to fall back on at all um so just that beautiful display of sacrifice and family and representing all these like different elements of this transition that they kind of have and like the hardships that they face in their day-to-day -day life because like i said they don't have something to fall back on but just kind of at the core when we have like the character of david and the kid and the relationship even just like between him and his grandma uh, how that progresses throughout the film. There's so many different beautiful layers to this film that I can't wait to rewatch it again because I actually just saw it um, and it immediately shot, shot to the top of my list. I just thought it was so moving. It was so heartbreaking. It was so optimistic. Obviously, we have the moment in the film that my heart just sank so, so, so far. There's like a few of those, but um, just showing how resilient they are. And yeah, Steven Yeun's performance it's it's one of those things that has to be recognized but again this is a an american story this is the most american story that i've seen in so long um so i wish it was recognized that way but of course you know we don't always get that um but yeah minari is number three of my 2020 list yeah very well put sabrina uh rb3 your number three uh my number three uh is actually something that you just mentioned sabrina and that is nomadland 
And um, this is uh, it's funny because we're talking about uh, Minari and, you know, that being from an Asian-American filmmaker, um, you know, telling the story of being a, being being American. And I feel like that's what No Man's Land is, too, just from a different perspective. Um, it's all about the American experience, just from not necessarily uh, from a racial perspective, from a different racial standpoint, but just from a different lifestyle standpoint. Like, you know, the the whole idea of us like living in houses and living in the, like under one roof and staying stagnant in one place is something that is kind of inbred into us. But for some people, they just can't live that way. Um, so I, I think it's really, really dope that this film like represents that. Um, they really get they really do a good job of highlighting like all different like kinds of different people that are inside of this nomad community. Um, I know like they I know there are some points they're talking about perhaps having, you know, like, you know, demonstrating like the nomad communities of like color, um, you know, and like black people and, you know, you know, because there are different communities and pockets. But I think it's fascinating that they chose to, you know, focus it on somebody like a Francis McDormand, an American white woman, because it, you know, makes it so much it, it removes like the kind of like it, it removes the kind of like uh, stigmatization to it. Like, you know, it, it makes it all about just, you know, the person, the character, like the heart of the film and the heart of uh, the country, you know. Um, so it's really, really dope. And I also think, you know, as much as I talked about how much I love Tenet and how many questions that movie raised, I feel like Minari, I'm sorry, not Minari. I feel like No Man's Land raised like those, a, a lot of almost the same amount of questions, but the different kinds of questions like. How did they film this? Like, are, is this real? Is this documentary? Like, how did they get Amazon? Like, they there's parts where she's working at an Amazon factory. Like, did they get Amazon's approval for that, or did they just say it was a documentary, or what they do? Like, and there's just so many mind bending, like meta realism questions that I kind of like start to have about this movie, and I think that is equally engrossing as well. So, also the score. I'm sorry, I don't have the composer's name like um, pulled off uh, off the top of my head. But the score is amazing. And also the fact that she edits the, this film herself, like she writes, directs, you know, and and edits it and, and produces it and edits it as well. It just it just is uh, you could feel like it's a very personal, touching film. And the composer is, oh, my goodness, I cannot pronounce this. Ludovico. <laughs> uh, I'm not even going to try, man, but amazing, amazing score. Amazing, amazing score. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely second all of that. Uh this is one of those really special films. I think Minari and Nomadland, us talking about it over the last few choices, really great ones. Yeah, Ludovico Unadi. Uh, there you go, my Italian. There you go. Boom. Uh, <laughs> I think we're currently at my number three. Um, mm -hmm. and my number three is a film that I think is going to be high for you, Sabrina. So I'll let you obviously take a little bit more of it. Uh, but it's never rarely, sometimes always is my number three, uh, a movie by Eliza Hittman, a filmmaker who really delivered an incredible film with the performances that she got with the story that she got, uh, the quietness of the film, the power of the film that it holds, even though it is quiet is really remarkable. Um, the way that the film is shot is so uh, just grounded and real. It also has that kind of docu vibe, not necessarily maybe to the level of Nomadland, but it does have a similar kind of like, these seem to be real girls kind of vibe, um, which is so cool and so down to earth and so interesting to see on film because of the story that they're telling and to see all the loopholes and all the ways you have to kind of go around it. And finally, when we get to that uh, 
ultimate scene, Sabrina, that you've talked about, uh, where we see everything she's been through and she kind of speaks it out when she says never rarely, sometimes always, and she's almost always saying always, or, 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 or sometimes, and we, we start to see that sometimes the perception that people have in their minds, especially a lot of Americans, a lot of Americans, I really want to include and say a lot of Americans uh, think a certain way about this whole issue. Uh, and the way that she breaks it down is very personal and it makes you re-question all those things that you had or, or, or makes them re-question all the things that they had in their head as far as perception goes. So uh, that is my number three film of 2020. Uh, so we go to your number two film, Sabrina, and then we're going to go to honorable mentions. So Sabrina, go ahead. Yeah, my number two film is Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Yeah. Uh, every Everything that you said, um, I echo it. I think this film is absolutely so special. I do think this is the most important film this year, um, even though I do have it at number two. I think this is from a perspective that we never get to see. We never get to spend this prolonged time uh, in a situation like this, and it is so uncomfortable, and we get those moments. And I feel like it kind of displays like predation and men in a specific way, and it shows through the lens of teenage girls what you have to go through, whether you're on public transit, whether you're in a city, whether you're in your own home um i just feel like it's one of those situations where if i could force anybody no matter what side of an argument you're on to just sit down and put themselves into someone's perspective this kind of shows it's like if some if an issue does not directly affect your life if you don't own a uterus or whatever you shouldn't be able to have an opinion on what somebody else does to have a 17 year old girl go through all of these first of all, dangerous to just run away and go to another city to sleep in the subway bathrooms or whatever, um, go through these dangerous experiences to do something uh, behind everybody's back because she has to go through all these loopholes. She has to cross state lines and she has her cousin there along with her for all of that because again, that is somebody who is her age, who is understanding of the situation. And the performance from Sydney Flanagan, I know it's something that we've talked about all this year, Andres, like you and I just keep mentioning it, uh, is something so, so spectacular, so special. I can't wait to highlight it more whenever we do the Cuddy Awards and things like that. But also Talia Ryder and even like Sharon Van Etten, one of my favorite musicians playing the mother in this film. Um, there's just so many different aspects of it that I think this is so quiet and so patient. And I know I've said that for other films, but it is done so purposely to put us in those uncomfortable situations. Uh, like, like I said before, that never rarely, sometimes always seen is the best scene of 2020. Yeah. Uh, RB3, we're going to jump to your number two and then we'll go to my number two. And then obviously I never mentions. Uh, yeah. My number two uh, is something that you both have um, already mentioned. Um, before, um, but I do want to highlight both this as an individual movie and um, as a collective series, and that is, for one, the movie I want to uh, highlight is Mangrove. Um, Mangrove is absolutely something that was mind-blowing to me when I first saw it on Amazon Prime. I'm not going to lie, the second I saw it, I texted y'all like immediately, and I was like, we have to do like this small axe thing, like this is so cool. Um, so we did a review for it, and yeah, we, we covered all the small axe films, and um, honestly, props to Steve McQueen and like the whole team behind like Amazon Prime and the the screen the co-screenwriters that he had like involved with, with these projects because they're really telling really important stories that uh, really add to the conversation um, in, in very meaningful ways. Um, obviously with Mangrove in particular, it's with uh, the trial of the Mangrove Nine and how they 
were, you know, uh, it kind of lumped together all these random people who were protesting just to protect the restaurant that was being harassed by the police. Um, and I think it, you know, for me, like, I think part of what makes me love this movie so much is that uh, it's, for one, is 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 reserved. Like, it's not, like, overly, like, over the top. It's not, like, gruesome or grotesque. Like, I think it's, you know, it could have been easy, especially for somebody like Steve McQueen who has done something a little more gruesome, like like 12 Years a Slave. It could have been really easy for a movie like this to fall into, like, tragedy porn or, like, super violence or anything like that. But I feel like every single step of the way they handled things with maturity and it also didn't feel as stagey as something like the trial of the Chicago seven, which I really enjoyed that movie too. Like, and I'm not gonna lie. I did text y'all too. Like after I watched that one, I was like, we should review this one too. Um, but then, you know, people did, I, I, if I'm being real, I, some people's reactions and reviews to it did kill it for me. Like somebody, you know, with the whole like Sorkinisms thing, how they were taking lines from like other Sorkin yeah. movies and how it was just in the trial. I was like, Oh, that's kind of lazy. I don't like that. And then just after thinking about this whole, you know, you know, this whole like, you know, unity, unity, it just kills me. I just, yeah. I hate myself even more and more the more I think about that movie. Uh, but <laughs> Mangrove, I'm just, I'm just ashamed. I, yeah. I just, I'm not ashamed. I'm, I'm proud that I was able to find this and have been able to, we've been able to talk about it and highlight it because I do genuinely think it's one of the better uh, movies of the year. It really is, yeah. Uh, that's a great choice. Again, we've we've all mentioned it before. Uh, our, my number two, uh, I can't believe I'm getting to my number two. My number two is The Vast of Night RB3, which was your number nine, I believe? Uh, yeah, that was my number 10. That was my number, number 10. 10. Like, yeah. damn, bro, that's wow. way too damn low, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, but no, really, I really love this movie. The script is, is just so filled with so much, and yet you're in it for all that time because the way the camera just brings you into the story is just so undeniable and you cannot reject what is being told to you because the camera is telling you to focus, which I think is incredible because of the energy the camera brings, the excitement, the movement, the uh, uh, super speed, uh, crazy go-kart wonder that they do, which is incredible when you go uh, pretty much all across the town and through houses, um, I love that scene because it really shows you the tidiness of the town, but at the same time, the coolness of the camera work, which is so cool. Uh, and obviously the story itself that is really sci-fi, but at the same time, uh, really horrific and scary and interesting and uh, of its time. Uh, I really enjoyed this movie so much. So shout out to the cast and crew of The Vast of Night. Uh, finally, honorable mentions. Uh, let's do this as quick as we can, guys. Any uh, quick shout outs? You guys can wrap them out, toss them out, be like, yeah, yo, honorable. I got um, The Five Bloods, Another Round, Big Time Adolescence, The Lodge, Big Time Adolescence. Soul. Big Time Adolescence, also King of Staten Island. You guys know me with Pete Davidson. Uh, Swallow is another one that we reviewed earlier that I really still enjoy. Palm Springs and Black Bear starring Aubrey Plaza and cool. Chris Abbott. So Yeah. RB3? Um, yeah, uh, a lot of ones that, that y'all, y'all mentioned, uh, that we, we've, we've all mentioned before and some that, that y'all mentioned too. I'm also going to shout out, um, the 40 year old version, um, which I've, you know, yeah. uh, gave, gave a shout out to in the, in the best directors of the year list. Um, there's also a lot of TV movies that I'm just missing out on that I just literally forgot about throughout this entire year. Um, also honorable mention. I want to say this is an honorable mention, but it's definitely going to be Sabrina's number one. So um, we'll save that for when we get there. So Okay. You uh, well. Honorable mentions for me. I, we didn't count The Last Dance. We considered it a series. Every three and I talked about it. 
yeah. beforehand. But our, our my last dance would be in my top two, oh, probably. Sure. Absolutely. Um, I'm gonna say a couple documentaries though. Speaking of documentaries, since the last dance was on there, Athlete A is about the gymnastics scandal. I texted you guys about that a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, really cool documentary, uh, really powerful, really strong. It'll get you really, really mad. Uh, at least it did me. Uh, also, Athlete A, the Bee Gees documentary, uh, the Tiger Woods documentary is incredible. Incredible. I don't even know if it counts for 2020, though, which is why it wasn't on my list. Um, and then Mank, I already said that. Uh, Boy State, I already said that. So, yeah. A lot of docs on my honorable mentions. Finally, Sabrina, you're number one of my, 2020. <laughs> my number one of 2020 is Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Really? RB3 can see right through me. Wow. Uh, I already knew the second I finished it, this is this is one of my favorite films easily of like the last few years, honestly. Um, Char this is like Charlie Kaufman's best direction so far, in my opinion. I feel like it deals with the what ifs in life and it's a cautionary tale told through a different perspective. Um, I think it focuses on the human condition, but it does so in a way that's very Kaufman, of course. And this isn't originally his story. This is adapted from a novel that I read and it's completely different. Like it's not completely different, but it's, it's not just you're taking a novel and adapting it, but he made it his own and he made it a completely like separate thing where you can enjoy both for different reasons. Um, he still found a way to make it unique and it's dizzying, erratic, didn't go the way that I thought it was going to go at all, especially judging off the trailers. I think it's this beautiful puzzle that I'm still finding new elements of it, like in rewatches, but not in a frustrating way at all, but just new layers every single time in, in a way that it opens up to even more ideas and more conversation. It's super rich, super layered. Um, but ultimately, I the way I see it is a man ending his life and looking back on a reflection of what what he could have achieved, but just didn't have the courage to. Um, and it genuinely affected me. Uh, I kind of talked about it a little bit when we did our Kaufman episode of The Meaning Of, and I binged every single Kaufman movie in like a week. I did not feel great afterwards. And I didn't feel great after this movie. And I think that's something that I really enjoy because I want to be affected. I want to be moved by a story like this. Um, and even though it is dark and it is dreary, I do think it's very beautiful in that way. And Jesse Plemons, Tony Collette, Jesse Buckley, David Thewlis, um, I just think these were incredible performances. And even just a lot of the scenes that were happening, they were so damn weird. And I was here for it. Like we got the pig, we have all of that um i just think this is my standout this is my highlight this is like this is me this is my kind of film uh charlie kaufman knew what he was doing he knew he had one audience member uh and that's why it's my favorite of 2020. yeah no i i 100 hear you on that it's, it was one it was really it was literally just like so close to making it, it was almost it was up in, on my list up until like the very, very end. That was the last one I kicked off. And yeah, I uh, I really enjoyed it too. Like I'm a big fan of Charlie Kaufman as well. And a big fan of his direction. And, um, and you know, I, I did, um, there were some parts of this movie that I, 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 I liked, but I didn't like love, um, you know, particularly like the, when the, the segments like between when they were like, like I love the whole car like ride like to the to to the house but i feel like when it got to the house it, it took a little bit of a different turn and i was like us oh, is a little strange but i was all for it too um but now overall i really 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 dug uh uh i'm thinking of ending things and i, I definitely um really excited to see it on your list
I'm so, so I'm so pumped to hear your number one RB three. What yeah, is your my, number one? Yeah, my number one is actually something y'all both mentioned way way earlier in the list. Um, and you know this is coming from you know me, so I'm I'm probably a little biased when it comes to this movie. Um, but you know this is some you know I'm biased because you know for one I'm black and you know that's just dope too. Um, but number two, uh, this is a Pixar movie. Um, that was yeah. really, really like moving and heartfelt. And I just love Pixar all around. So this is like kind of like the secret sauce, like formula that was made for me. And that's Soul, right? And Soul is uh, to me like um, pretty much like I wouldn't necessarily say it's like pitch perfect, but it pretty much hits like out of the ballpark when it comes to like what it's trying to do, right? And I think people. I think, you know, there are a lot of criticisms like towards the movie. And again, I think those criticisms are totally valid. But I think the the people, the, the critics of uh, those sad things are looking for something that the movie's like not trying to be. And, you know, I think what Soul is, I think what Soul is, I think Soul is trying not to be like a black movie. I think Soul is trying to be a movie that is about black culture. And I think it's a movie that embodies black culture in a really positive way unlike you know i think you know sometimes people are like oh like where was the where, where was like the the tragedy or the emotional grief you know like with coco was dealing with death or with you know up is dealing with like losing a grandmother there wasn't really a lot of that like kind of deep deep emotion i mean i guess there was with the whole idea of him dying like literally but it wasn't like some sort of like big external big emotional thing and i think that's why people had a hard time wrapping their minds about it. It's much more existential. It's much more like bigger than like one individual emotion. It's about the, 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 the act of living and the act of life in general. Um, so also there's also detractors who are upset about the representation of Tina Fey's character being like, um, like a, like a, a white girl too. But I, you know, for me personally, like, again, I said this a little bit before already, but you know, it's not necessarily like, it's not necessarily a like a black it's not trying to be like overly black or the stereotypes of what we consider a black movie like we learned a lot of the themes of this like this movie through um black interactions like what we see in like barbershops or um through jazz music honoring jazz music which is an iconic culture that deals with the like spontaneity and the randomness of life and just moving forward and there's just so many so many so many deep concepts in this even to the point where even when I initially reviewed it, even like I had a, even I thought like when I initially reviewed it and I saw it like three times at that point, like I had a perspective on it and what I felt like the overall meaning of like, you know, loving the job that you have or whatever. I thought that was the correct reading of it. But even weeks later, I revisited it and I'm thinking maybe that's not even the right way to look at this movie at all either. Like maybe it's not even about work. It's not even about how you work or if work is even valuable in the human experience at all. It's just about livelihood. So it's really, really dope. There's so much there. And like Pixar, you know, there's there's a great quote by Andrew Stanton where he talks, he did a TED talk where he talks about like the process behind Pixar. And a lot of times they, they prioritize, not necessarily, a lot of times with movies, they'll give you, the whole idea of a movie, it should be like two plus two equals four, right? And a lot of times the, the movies will give you the four, but they don't give you the two plus two. But Pixar does a really, really good job of giving you that two plus two and doesn't necessarily give you the four, but allows you to figure that part out by yourself. And I really, really dig that about Soul. So, yeah, yeah, obviously, uh, Sabrina and I both love Soul and 
Uh, it was on my list and it's a great, great film. I love that it's your number one RB3. That's perfect because you're right. It is like perfectly made. Like you love Pixar, man. Like you read Pixar books and stuff, right? Yeah, I had a whole Pixar class in college. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, my number one is one that I had to debate a lot what was my number one because I really did uh, want to pick one that represented what I thought a film of 2020 but at the same time i had to be honest with myself right as far as like what resonated with me the most and the more i thought about it the more i was like what movie really kicked me in the butt and kicked me in the gut the most and if i'm being honest guys it's one night in miami uh one night in miami is my number one film of the year directed by regina king who absolutely murders it but the idea of the film and i know it's about for african-american icons of 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 malcolm x jim brown muhammad ali and sam cook who really defied their generation and defined just the entirety of what they can do and what talent can do uh and what the mind behind the talent can be um there's so much there that resonated with me personally mainly because of the idea of what you can do for your people and I've always talked about this. I've talked about this with you, Sabrina, off camera, but the idea of me representing my culture, my people, my struggles, everything they've been through, generations, hundreds of generations behind me, what can I do to impact them? And what can I do to honor them and to uplift my people? Um, and I really love that aspect of the movie telling you, what are you doing with your talents? What do you have in front of you? that you dominate, that you absolutely destroy, whether it's sports, athletics, or, or music, if you can use that to amplify a bigger voice and amplify it in a bigger way, more than economic, more than politically, just inspirationally, just defy your own people and the way that Malcolm X inspires, even though it might be fictional, probably is fictional, inspires Sam Cooke to write uh, A Change Is Coming, uh, that to me was so cool because it talks about, look at your talent, man. You're making all this money for all these people and it really is cool, but you could be so much better. You can make songs that like destroy people's souls and he does with that song. Uh, and I thought that was one of the coolest things I've ever heard. And it's one of those things that kind of uh, tells you what you can do is so much more than what you can even imagine. And I just love that idea of of really taking this weight that is on your shoulders and just being like you know what i'm oppressed this way i'm straight up gonna lift it uh and i'm not gonna shy away from it so i love one night miami and i really think it delivers so yeah 100 wow. percent. i i just want to say i absolutely love all of our lists i love that i feel like last year we had a lot of overlap but this one had a little bit but we still brought out all these different ideas yeah, and different, different films uh and I just think we, we kind of captured what 2020 was in a really beautiful way. Absolutely. Uh, and with that, guys, that concludes our top 10 of 2020. Let us know in the comments down below what is your top 10. Uh, did you agree with any of our choices? What choices would you add on your list? What choices would you add on ours? Let us know in the comments down below. Uh, subscribe to First Cut if you haven't done so already for more movie discussions and more movie analysis. Uh, you can find me at Squad Leader Ace. Uh, Sabrina, where can everyone find you? You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at SabrinaXMonica and then also on Twitter at SabrinaOnFilm. RB3. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DirectorRB3. Alrighty, guys. For the First Cut crew and the Meaning of Podcast, we are peacing out. Peace. Peace.